Welcome to another Culture Gym podcast with your hosts Carly Richards and Gareth Shackleton, talking to each other and guests about good mental health, peak performance and employee engagement through your culture. Let's work out. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Culture Gym with Gareth Shackleton and Carly Richards. Uh, please click the subscribe button to uh, get updates on the next episodes of the Culture Gym and uh, we love to have you here listening to our show every week. Good morning Carly, how are you? Good morning, I'm really good. We're on week nine already. Week nine, I'm glad you remembered, I, I'm losing track. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, well I only know because I've got it in my notes. Oh very good, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to lose yeah. track once I get to ten because I've got <laughs> more fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how's your week been, Gareth? Uh, yeah, good. I'm on holiday next week, so I've been in that holiday preparation mode of um, clearing the decks, getting everything done, making sure all clients are um, sorted for next week when they're, uh, they have enough homework to be getting on with. And uh, yeah, so in, uh, in wind down mode now, just getting ready to uh, pack things up and leave. That's great. Um, I've kind of been doing the opposite. <laughs> um, I'm getting ready for some new opportunities at work, which are exciting. Um, it was my anniversary, wedding anniversary this week, so I took a couple of days off. Very and good. now I'm kind of getting back into it because the kids are going to be back to school soon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, if uh, there's any parents listening with school-aged children, perhaps you will be celebrating with me. <laughs> Although we've had a lovely time during lockdown, I must admit. We've been very lucky. Yeah. Um, and a great time but yeah opposite to you I think. Homeschooling is a topic we can probably discuss at length at some point it's a really been an interesting experience for lots of people hasn't it? Yeah yeah it has. Mm. No longer will I dread the six weeks summer holidays because I won't know what to do with them although dread's probably far too extreme a word um yeah, I don't dread the holidays, but I, I do wonder, oh, what will we do for six weeks? Yeah. But after six months, <laughs> six weeks seems like an absolute doddle. Yeah, it'll be a breeze next time around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. It'll be good for the kids to get back as well to some kind of normality and hopefully you know, the infection levels don't spike again and they can get a full year this year. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, I think all, all children will be looking forward to seeing their friends. They might be nervous about going back to school, which mm -hmm. mine are, but I think that's perfectly normal. Um, and I, they are also looking forward to certain things like seeing their friends and, you know, seeing teachers even. Yeah. Um, so be nice. It'll be good for them. Very good. So we have a, a topic today. We're going to talk about flow. We are. Yeah, One psychological flow. I think we should perhaps um, <laughs> qualify uh, what we're actually going to be talking about. It's not uh, the flow of water or uh, other things. No. <laughs> <laughs> so psychological flow, what is it? Um, why is it relevant to the workplace? And uh, why should we be encouraging it? Mm. Yeah, indeed. Um, so this is something that I know you're very interested in and have done an awful lot of reading around. It's something that I have covered in my studies and my kind of background to, to um, 
occupational psychology and you know more about one particular researcher and I know a little bit more about another particular researcher but um, I think in terms of how flow fits into organizations and why we should be focusing on on flow and thinking about flow um, we have similar sort of questions around it all and, mm. and yeah thoughts so um, why don't you kick off by telling us exactly what flow is or what the research tells us that flow is yeah. okay so you know i guess one of the things my interest in flow is you know starts with the question is it real mm. um yeah. and i won't explain why that's a question but let's let's dig into some of the research and then we can maybe answer that question as we go so the concept of flow starts with a researcher in, in from my point of view anyway called Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and you have to really practice for a long time to be able to say that name Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is Hungarian by origin uh, but uh, emigrated to America did all his research there and he started with some research into play and what what is play looking at kids playing but then also wondering why do adults play you know there's no purpose to play other than engagement in the in the activity itself there's no particular goal involved in you know even playing chess other than you know maybe competitiveness but it's the activity itself which is is the goal is the motivation to take part and he realized that that was a very strange thing in terms of motivation theory at the time back in the 70s and uh, the way that psychology was going with behaviorism uh, and so he started to research it in more depth and realized that play but also other activities like mountain climbing and but even work people become engaged and absorbed in what they're doing and there's a certain level of enjoyment involved with it as well which perhaps not in the moment but you realize afterwards i really enjoy doing that uh, and he started to define what this state was and realized that you could describe it as a phenomenon that was discrete from other psychological ph phenomenon. Lots of long, difficult words in here, not just his name. Um, so he's, he started to define it. And I think you've got a good definition of flow, just a, a one-liner there. Um, yeah. So I'm talking about a guy called Arnold Bakker. Okay. Um, two Ks. And uh, I don't know whether this is a direct quote, but certainly he suggests that it's a state of total immersion in an activity that's intensely enjoyed. Yep. Um, but then we talked about enjoyment and how do we know whether people are in fact enjoying it? Um, mm. and, and is enjoyment as more of a kind of, self-perceived concept what one yeah. person deems enjoyable may not be enjoyable to somebody else but then could that be dependent upon the activity that they're in that state of flow yeah. doing um there's also you know that motivation comes into it as well in right. other definitions too so yeah yeah uh, and enjoyment's interesting so i think 
you know, in Csikszentmihalyi's version of, of what flow is, enjoyment doesn't fa feature as much as it does in, in Bacher's version, I think. Uh, it's there, it's an element and it's considered, but um, it's not quite so, um, you know, that, that idea of intense enjoyment's not, not the same. It's enjoyment, but a, a much lower level of, um, what's the psychological term? It's not valence, it's intensity. It's that, uh, that effect level. Um, so so th then there are some conditions in, in which flow that are needed in order to enter into flow. And I think this is in, important from a, a work point of view because three of the conditions which are important are around the demands of the activity being matched by the resources that the person has yeah. for, that, for those demands. So if the demands and the resources are matched, you can enter into flow. If there's a mismatch, if demands are too high, then you'll probably end up in a kind of stressed state. And if the demands are too low for the resources that the person has, you end up in a bored state. So flow become, in, in the work setting at least, in the, perhaps in other settings, becomes this idea of optimal performance or optimal experience. And I think there are two differences there. There's a difference between optimal experience and optimal performance. Many people mm -hmm. conflate the two and, and try to say that you know, entering into flow is about optimal performance and it's not necessarily the case, I don't think. Uh, we, we need to dig into the research a bit more on that one. But many people push the idea of flow in the workplace as this idea of improving performance because you can reach a state of optimal performance. Um, and it may be true in some cases, but not all. But certainly it's important, you know, if, if we're looking at people and how we manage and lead people, we want to match up their resources, what they have available, both physical resources, but also their mental um, and mindset resources with the task in hand, with the demands of the task. That will help them to perform that task more effectively um, have a better experience in doing that so they want to do it more and better next time so hopefully there's a performance benefit to helping our employees to achieve flow so that's two of the three and the third aspect is control there needs to be this sense that you're in control of what you're doing if you're getting lots of interruptions lots of distractions lots of um you know, the supervisor keeps on coming to you and asking you to change what you're doing so you don't feel in control of the activities, then that's going to impede flow. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those three areas there are really important from a, you know, a workplace point of view and from a culture point of view. Yeah. You know, are we providing appropriate demands to our employees with who have the resources resources matched to those demands and do we give them control and some level of autonomy over the work that they're doing in order to help them to achieve optimal experience and optimal performance yeah it's interesting as well how similar um, in a lot of ways that flow is discussed how similar the concept is to engagement mm. 
in work. Yeah. Um, so we, we talk a lot, not just on the podcast, but I think in general, there's a lot, awful lot, there kind of seems to be a bit of a buzzword around the word engagement at the minute. Mm. So, you know, it's discussed an awful lot in the workplace. How do we engage our employees and how do we ensure that we can maintain that level of engagement? And I think it's very, in terms of the way that's discussed, it's similar to the word flow. Mm. Certainly, um, some of the research is geared towards flow being something that's very personal and um, it talks about the individual rather than creating more of a kind of, I suppose, culture of flow, which is something that's very interesting to us because as and leaders and employers out there, because certainly we want to know how do we help, how do we enable our employees to, to first of all, get into a state of flow, become mm. engaged in the work and then get into a state of flow. I personally, for me, I see, you know, being engaged in a piece of work as kind of first level and then moving on to a deeper level of a state of flow in mm. terms of you're really immersed in it rather than just engaged in it. You're absolutely immersed into it. Um, and so how, how do employers enable that to then continue once mm-hmm. we've created it? And you've obviously mentioned a few things there. Um, environment, I think, is something that they can think about. So, yeah, well, we need to make sure that people have the correct balance between resources and demands and also creating this appropriate environment, work environment, to ensure that minimal distractions... Um, which brings us on to the interesting concept of open offices. And there's an awful lot of research come out in more recent years after the big boom of open offices um, that suggests actually maybe we should have rethought that because it's not such a productive atmosphere and they aren't what we, what we kind of gain in terms of the reduced costs in creating an open office, we yeah. probably lose in performance mm-hmm. and well-being because actually they can be very stressful environments. I've certainly been into workplaces where they, the initial wow factor of this office is amazing. You know, it's all modern and glass yeah. everywhere and looks great. But then you kind of sit down and think, okay, particularly in industries like tech industries, where people do tend to get into a state of flow, especially if they're more introverted. Um, and you, you kind of think, right, this is very individual work. So then if someone's got to work solely on their own and there's mm. little need for collaboration, although that you could argue there's always a need for collaboration, um, that that proves very difficult to people working in open offices, particularly if they're more introverted. Yeah. Um, and if we have, so if we have spaces where people can go to have a meeting, I've walked into spaces that are glass walls. So then you're never completely private. You're never mm-hmm. complete, even in, even in a meeting room, if you were having a private meeting an appraisal, for example, or, um, 
you know, you were, you wanted to talk to your boss about something that was particularly difficult, something that had gone on at home and you were going to be visibly upset. You wouldn't want your colleagues to know yet you're in a completely glass canister and everyone can see it. And so I think environment is something that's really important. Um, and certainly if you're listening now and considering moving to an open office after lockdown and being separated and you're thinking we need to all come together, mm -hmm. I would certainly look into what the research says and, um, and just be mindful that that's probably not going from one extreme to the other is probably not the best option yeah. um, because it's not always productive and it certainly doesn't allow for a state of flow. Well, it, it, it could be an, an inhibitor to flow. That's right. And I guess by definition, flow would, um, when you enter into a state of flow, you, you can block out distractions. That's part of the definition. Yeah. However, entering into that state probably requires, you know, a, a, a reduced level of distraction uh, so that you can you know, enter into the state. So, um, probably not going to be a um, uh, a promoter of flow. And then every interruption, of course, interrupts the flow state. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. and, and we can go into all sorts of depth on this. You know, there's all sorts of angles and it's really fascinating. One of the things is that, you know, should you be in flow all of the time? And the answer is probably no. You know, you need yeah. to go, you need to have this variable state of being where you enter into flow you stay there for a period of time it could be 30 minutes it could be several hours but then you come into a into a different state probably a more relaxed state because flow could be quite an intense experience you know quite intense concentration uh, and, and in order to have true well-being we probably need to have the ability to enter into flow and then come out of flow then enter it again and have multiple states of uh, periods of flow during the workday. Yeah. To organise yeah, our, you know, our work and our days around that as well, mm -hmm. both as individuals and, and as a business. Mm. And what strikes me is, is another interesting concept to do with flow, it, it, particularly for the moment, the current times are when people have been working from home, how have we been able to enter into that state, mm. if at all? Mm. Particularly if um, you know people have distractions at home and they don't have an appropriate environment to work in. Perhaps they don't have a home office or even a desk. Mm. Um, and yeah, you know, if they've got children at home, it's I found it particularly difficult. I'm not. I think yeah, there's been times where I've entered into a state of flow, but certainly not as often as I would do because I generally work from home quite a lot mm. um, so not I haven't entered into that state as often as I would do when the children are at school when my husband's at work you know when we have that space I suppose and I don't, don't just mean physical space but mental space and capacity to be able to focus and engage in what you're doing and then move that on to a deeper kind of in, more intensive level it's about having that mental distance from other things, isn't it? Because you know the, the state of flow is complete absorption in what you're doing. In order mm -hmm. to get there, you probably need a certain level of distance mentally from other things. And then once you enter into flow, that distance increases. You know, yeah. 
becomes greater. One of the interesting aspects of flow as a research topic is it's almost a circular thing. You know, the conditions in order to create flow are almost the same as the, um, the state that you're in in flow. So you need to have this mental distance in order to enter flow. But flow is mental distance from other things, except yeah. the thing that you're engaged in. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. And also just talking about balance and, and, you know, how we need to have, we can't be, we shouldn't be in flow all the time. No. I suppose some people, maybe if they're working on, particularly at work, if they're working on quite an important project and it's taken up all of the bandwidth, but then is that healthy or is that because of the pressure? Yeah. Yeah. You need to get the balance right there, but also it should be something that we can enter into in our personal lives as well. And from a well-being perspective, that's very important in order to move away from work and to be able to switch off from work and actually switch into this is me, this is personal time, this is family time, you know, or reading a story to your children at bedtime or I, I don't know, what, or a hobby. You mentioned rock climbing earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's all, all relative. I think it's important to recognize that there are some dark sides to flow. You know, that a lot of the literature, particularly the popular literature on this, is about the positive sides of flow, the optimal experience, the optimal performance. But we have to be aware of the fact that too much flow could lead to addiction. You know, the idea of a workaholic, for example. Yeah. Um, and I think related to that, because there's some evidence that Flow results in a, a, a dopamine dopamine hit in the brain. You know, the pleasure centers of the brain get this dopamine hit, uh, hence the enjoyment. And you know, dopamine is related to elements of drug addiction as well. So you know, th these kinds of ideas come together somewhat, and, and we have to be aware of the fact that flow is releasing dopamine into the brain that can become an addiction. And I think the the other thing we have to be aware of which isn't often talked about is if you do enter into flow for too long and too often uh, and too intensely you know that could lead to burnout yes yeah, because the, there's also some research that flow is like um is a stress state it's not chronic stress as we think of chronic stress with this elevated adrenaline and, and chronically elevated cortisol but it is um there is some research which shows that in a state of stress your adrenaline levels go up your cortisol levels go up and that's akin to stress so entering into flow for too long too intensely and too often could lead to this kind of state of burnout so we, we don't want to be encouraging flow too much and too often too intense no. having this balance this fluctuating yeah um, experience and, and so i think what we're asking it, sorry carry on I, I think related to that is the idea of finding different ways of entering into flow so it shouldn't be just about one thing either in the workplace but also as you've said having this work-life balance so mm -hmm. having multiple ways to to achieve a flow state some of it at work some of it at home with your family some of it with hobbies and then you can have this nice fluctuation throughout the day uh, in different ways and, and for different reasons yeah yeah 
I was just going to say, and you know, perhaps not leaving it on the positive note that we normally like to, but what we're asking of leaders and employers is quite a lot, really, in terms of flow. Um, particularly for, for leaders who have no experience in occupational or organisational psychology or coaching or, you know, or any form of understanding of these concepts that we're talking about, which we understand is, you know, quite challenging, but who really want to get the best from their employees. Um, in which case, if, you know, we're always available. We, um, we can help, yeah, but I, th I think the key is, you know, if we make it very simple, is, is what we've talked about before. It's having that sense of humanity and empathy, yes. you know, and checking in with employees that um, they are enjoying what they're doing. They are achieving optimal experience sometimes mm -hmm. um, because the more they achieve that optimal experience, again, not too much, but the more they're going to enjoy the work, the more they're going to engage, yeah. uh, the better their output and productivity will be, the better it is for the business. So, you know, we can get into the deep psychology and, and biology of flow, but that just proves that it's real, I think. Um, yeah. After, beyond that, it's about having that empathy with the people that you are responsible for. Mm, I think it's just about doing the right thing, isn't it? Yeah. Doing mm -hmm. the right thing. Which brings us on to our question. We didn't have time for a question last week, but this mm -hmm. week we've got a few minutes left. Um, we're trying to keep it round about the half hour mark, aren't we? So, um, yeah. So the question this week is, what is leavism? And this is certainly a concept that we, that I talk a lot about in my work, but, but not everyone, when I talk about it, not everyone understands or even knows or ever heard of the word before. Mm. Um, so the, the concept of least, so first of all, we've all heard of absenteeism, pretty much, I would assume. Um, absenteeism is uh, basically when employees are absent from work. Mm -hmm. There's a concept called presenteeism, which is um, generally where people are showing up to work, but they're not sort of mentally, performance-wise, emotionally um, visible at work. So they're kind of switched off, if you like. Probably the opposite of flow. Yeah, disengaged. Very disengaged, yes. And then there's this concept of leavism, and you talked about burnout before. Um, and interestingly, leavism is about when people don't take their annual leave, they become so immersed in their work, they decide not to take take time off for whatever reason, because maybe they've got a lot on at work, maybe they're particularly stressed, so they want to get through all the tasks. Maybe they love their job, um, but when we don't take a break from work, even if we love the work, it yeah. can impact our stress levels. It can lead to burnout and it, and it does also impact things at home. So especially if we have partner, family, other family members or friends that kind of want to spend time with us and things, it can really impact those relationships and our home life. Um, and we, we become unable to switch off from work and switch on to home life away from work yeah. and that does also lead to burnout so that supports your um, statement earlier on where you said that being in a state of flow 
but too long, too often can lead to burnout. And this concept of leavism is actually costing the economy billions right. because we, I think certainly employees have a responsibility to take their annual leave, to take a break from work, to, to not only take their annual leave, but, but switch off and do something they enjoy or do something with, pe with people that they love at home all being well with lockdown of course and mm -hmm. um, when they aren't at work and really try hard to switch off you know whether that's physical exercise or whatever but employers have a responsibility to ensure that people are having appropriate breaks from work yep. and ensure that those are i know it's been difficult certainly in recent times you know but a lot of people aren't getting their annual leave because work has been so hectic and mm -hmm. um, but we certainly moving on now that the things are starting to settle down as employers we certainly need to take that responsibility seriously and ensure that people are getting appropriate breaks after what has been a very difficult time yeah 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 interesting to think about you know the the blending of home and work life over mm -hmm. the last four or five months with lockdown and working from home and how that's affected leaveism, you know, the, the inability perhaps for some people to get away from work. Yeah. Because it's always there. It's in their living room, their kitchen. It's, it's there. Yeah. Um, but it's also a, a big problem for society as a whole at the moment, isn't it? Because of, you know, the, the always on culture that we have, we've got the mobile phone, we've got the uh, tablets, computers at home we can always check our emails text messages can come in from the boss or from a customer uh, at any time of day or night um, so it, it can be really difficult to switch off and, and you know that's I guess a, a form of leaveism as well yeah yeah exactly and, and if employers can do anything about that then they should yeah. um, I know certainly in France they have a complete ban on emails after mm -hmm. a certain time of day I can't remember the specific time, but they, they've taken that route. And I think that's the evidence suggests that that's definitely helped. So, you know, maybe that's an option. If not by law, certainly perhaps within your organization, that's something that you can, you can begin um, by saying no emails, no messages, no work-related content at all after whatever time. But then that kind of, then that begs the question of, what about certainly right now if people are looking after their children during the day what if they're choosing to work at night time and then that impacts flexible working and so I guess it's very much a, and as are all of these concepts very much individual to the organization to the employees what works for those people that group of people that individual and I guess we just it goes back to just using your common sense and doing the right thing it does, and then analysing each business as an individual entity, you know, that they've all got their own characteristics and it's important to go in and assess them or assess yourself. Yeah. You know, not necessarily benchmarking against other businesses because that can be uh, misleading and, and dangerous comparing yourself to others. Mm -hmm. um, but looking at yourself, doing a, a deep analysis and, and understanding the strengths and weaknesses of your organisation from a... Uh, an ability for employees to enter flow, to engage in the work that they're doing, to uh, for the well-being of, of the people. Businesses are all about people. 
and uh, doing that on an individual basis, not some benchmark or framework that uh, that might exist out there. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, that's all we've got time for. Just scratching the surface as ever on, uh, on these topics. And so much more to delve into in future discussions, Carl. Yeah, hopefully it's food for thought for everyone, though. You know, hopefully it just starts those um, thought processes off for people. And uh, mm -hmm. perhaps if anyone wants to know more, they can do their own digging or they can ask us for more information. Yeah, and we'd be happy to. Yeah. yeah, happy to talk to people about it. Yeah. Good. That's all we've got time for today. Uh, have a great week, uh, everybody. Thanks for listening. I uh, hope you've enjoyed uh, the topics today. Uh, I certainly have. Yeah, me too. Don't yeah. forget to subscribe. You'll get all our notifications for more chats. Indeed. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Culture Gym Podcast. Thanks for working out with us. Till next time. Work happy. Mm -hmm.